Oh my goodness, hey, hi, it's Mike. Did you know that Abe and Bridget and me are trying to make a movie right now? Yes, right dang now. It's called Papa Bear and tells the poignant and hilarious true story of the time my dad came out as a gay furry when I was 17. Uh, if you care about that at all, please head to seedandspark.com slash fund slash papa hyphen bear to find out much more about the project, how you can be a part, and earn really cool rewards for helping us out. See you there. Here's your pod. Thanks so much. This movie is so sweaty. It's so I, sweaty. It is so much sweat. It it's is, just pouring off everybody. It has been recently spritzed. Every scene has been recently every, spritzed. Every man just yeah. beads. Yeah. Uh, it's like that yeah. uh, Key and Peel sketch, that gif where he's just like right. <laughs> pouring water out of his neck it or really whatever. Is. Yeah. It's that. It is so drastic. Nobody thinks of the grundle. You know what I mean? Like nobody's thinking about the places they're also sweat. Like you're oh, not yeah. thinking about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, no. Absolutely. I love that your mind goes immediately to the Grendel. <laughs> like that's that the mind of a generation, Adam Ganser. <laughs> <laughs> truly a, a nuanced genius. Truly. Apt for the times. Truly. Thinking of where that sweat pours out of. No, no, that's a that's a good thought. But and right? I, I'm glad to have it with you. When I see him uh just a mountain of sweat on a person. I'm like, well, I know where I'd be sweating that I would be hating if I was that sweaty. Like, yeah. like just where is the discomfort? And I figured it out immediately. Also, I was saying this earlier when we were talking, but like, I was trying to think of another movie that was as sweaty as this. And the mm -hmm. only one I could think of was body heat, you know, <laughs> yep. like the, the, the sexy the noir thriller. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, this movie is pure sex, man. I mean, yeah, dude, you're not wrong, and obviously you're 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 perfectly setting me up, Coog, to to run all the way <laughs> into the danger zone here mm -hmm. because that is part of the argument we're going to be making today. Because Hell today yeah. on Director Piece Theater, we're going to be talking about Top Gun. Tap Gun. Tap Gun. Yeah, it's this be is great. this. Uh, yeah, you're Adam Ganser. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's me. I'm Abe Epperson. That's you. With the, you, you said it. We're director piece theater. Mm -hmm. We like to look at movies, sure and do. from a directing point standpoint, uh, and then we go. You know what? We're directors. <laughs> Let's talk about it <laughs> in kind of a like an essay. I love it. You're too loose, Cougar. <laughs> You're too loose, Cougar. That's my favorite quote from Top Gun, by the way. <laughs> Just you know what my favorite is? Yeah, go ahead. I'm coming hard. <laughs> It's it's you it's can blink there. and miss yeah. it. It's in there. It's, it's in like twenty five minutes in. It's also twenty five times. They they probably they say, say it a lot. A they say times. I'm coming. I'm sure they're coming do. hard. Yeah. Of course they. Yeah. Do. Of course Ooh, they. Do. It's a. Uh, mm, so what you got? What, <laughs> okay, what, great. What are we slapping on the table today? <laughs> cool. That's right. Uh, we're gonna take this podcast into the ladies' room here. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. I know, terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. Uh, Today I want to talk a little bit about uh, Top Gun as a propaganda film. Um, This is a thing, it's not, uh, it, it, it wouldn't be surprising to search on Twitter and look for references to Top Gun and find somebody who was like, it's propaganda, it's military propaganda. Because um, that's sort of a popular take now. And uh, I wanted to talk about if it's propaganda, how is it propaganda? Like, in what sense is that true? And mm-hmm. uh, does does it qualify as, like, are we right about that? Like, is that a correct thing or is that really a way of saying that it advocates a, a thing that we don't like? Um, so I'm going to make kind of a a clear distinction about what I mean by propaganda films by like defining propaganda a little further, because if mm-hmm. you get really, if you get too loose cougar with the definition of propaganda, anything that has a message at all would be propaganda, right? Cause it's an advocation of a cultural, social or political comment. Uh, and that seems like True. not useful, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's another way of just saying like you have a thesis Correct. And then there's also Correct. what society has, what we all agree upon the word means Correct. in context. Yeah, that's right. So I'm going to try to define what I think we've all agreed it means when we have to take the word seriously. Um, mm. And I would say, essentially, it's that an artist who is definitely trying to promote a, a viewpoint that's cultural, political, or religious, but also is intentionally misleading or misrepresenting the facts to do so. Yeah. Misinformation. Correct. There's a misinformation piece of it. And um, the story is, in a sense, a deviation from what you might call the mainstream consensus. You know, I think that's Mm -hmm. also a quality of propaganda. It's attempting to move mainstream consensus to a different place than where it currently is. Yeah. Um, Some people might argue with that second point. I just think it helps us to understand a film... In that context, because I think, yeah, certain types of propaganda definitely are that, Correct. especially the like the memorable ones, like right. Oh, the state is great. Correct. You know those kinds of things. You know, like don't you know the stuff where it's like make sure you you take your rations and give us your steel because we need <laughs> That's bullets. Exactly it. That's the stuff. Right. That's it, the good stuff. I say that because if you don't, if you're not trying to shift public opinion with propaganda, then what you're really doing is making a film that reinforces those cultures' values. You know, which mm-hmm. again makes it difficult to assess the propaganda nature of it. This is a very philosophical argument, but that's true. I'm, if you're a part of the propaganda machine, then you don't know you're yeah. being propagandized, and so it's not yeah. effective. True, right? So it's not effective. Um, so that leads us directly into our conversation about Top Gun, and I want to give us just a little bit of uh, some background on it. Um, Top Gun is propaganda in the truest sense of the word uh, because Top Gun is definitely attempting to mislead us as an audience about uh, the nature of military operations and sort of the meaning of that. Um, But it's attempting to do so invisibly, which I would say is also a part of successful propaganda. Um, When you don't know that it's happening, I think that uh, that that makes it a yeah. more effective propaganda that's the, tool. That's successful story, baby. Yeah. Well, it's especially successful for propaganda when you're trying to persuade uh, because yeah. you're eliminating contention points. That's really the point of propaganda. 
Um, and I think that if there's any experience that we probably all can agree on, it's that Top Gun is not a, is not trying to make a controversial statement. Like that's not the feeling that we get when we watch Top Gun. You know, Top Gun is supposed to be a fist pumping, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a motorcycle ride alongside a jet taking off. You yeah, know? peck peck slapping. Yeah, just peck slapping, <laughs> slapping S- all sweaty, the pecs. Yeah. coming hard. Yeah, yeah, baby. yeah. Exactly. Now, just to be clear, even though I'm calling Top Gun propaganda, I'm not saying that the filmmakers who are making it are are warmongering conservatives or anything like that. I'm not making that argument. In fact, I'm not going to speak to their personal political intentions at all because I don't know them. Um, so even though they're making a political comment, I'm not going to talk about the political assumptions that they have uh, because the actual argument I'm making here is that the filmmaker's desire to make a film that was cool was made at the uh, expense of the facts in this film. And Mm. in so doing, they made a propaganda film, whether or not it's an actual advocation for their political philosophy, I couldn't say. I'm also, by the way, not moralizing about propaganda. I'm not here to say this is all evil uh, or bad. No, yeah, it's very Socratic of you. Yeah, right. That's all I really want to do here, you know? You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't... So, like, there are going to be some people who are going to feel I don't go far enough in condemning it, and I'm not going to condemn it, really. I'm just trying to describe the phenomenon of it and show how, as a filmmaker, you can do this, how it can happen, um, and you know, then you will be left to decide for yourself morally how you feel mm-hmm. about that. Uh, so the title of this argument <laughs> is based on a quote, and the title is uh, Top Gun in Search of Star Wars on Earth. In search of Star Wars on Earth. So, what the hell's that mean? I'm going to tell you. So, Top Gun was produced by two people who are legends in the movie business. Uh, the first is Don Simpson, and the other is a name you probably heard, Jerry Bruckheimer. Um, mm-hmm. Don Simpson died in 1996 at 52, but I just wanted to go through and like list some of the movies that he produced so you get a feel for his resume. Okay. Yeah, yeah, do a little propaganda Yeah, here us. we go, baby. So his first one, Flashdance. Uh, he also made Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2. He wow. made Top Gun. He made Days of Thunder. He made Crimson Tide. He Whoa. made Bad Boys. He made Dangerous Minds. And he also made The Rock, which I think mm-hmm. was his last film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jerry Bruckheimer uh, made all those films too and also made the following films that you might have heard of. All the Pirate of the Caribbean movies, all of them. Mm-hmm. He made Armageddon. He made God in 60 oh, yeah. Seconds. He made Enemy of the State. He made all the subsequent Bads Boys. He made every CSI show. All of yes. them. All the CSI yes. shows. Yes. And the National Treasure movies. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm insane. so excited. It's insane. It's just fuel. Yeah. It's America yeah. fuel. It's Amer- right, exactly. It's America fuel. And like... Bruckheimer is probably one of the only producers that an average American could name. You know, like it's a it's a Hollywood name that people yeah, could everyone identify. remembers the tree. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. That's how successful as a producer he has been. In the nineties, especially. Yeah. If you that tree, everyone's like, Oh, I know what I'm I know about what I'm in experience. for, baby. Mm-hmm. Slap on some sunglasses. Let's light the fires and kick the, <laughs> kick tires. the tires. I love it. I love what you're doing. Uh, so Top Gun is a project 
that was initiated and helmed basically by these two guys. Because every Hollywood production basically needs a star to get it to move, to get it to happen. And in most mm-hmm. cases, those stars are actors or directors, you know, who have a big reputation. In this case, these producers were so successful uh, that they were able to get a project started without a lot of big names attached to it and did that. Um, so already that tells you these are the guys who are really behind this and whose vision it is. Um, yeah, it's wild. It's wild. To, con- yeah, it's wild to conceive of a time when like a studio could just say, "I want to make this movie," and then it's made. I mean, right? Of <laughs> Isn't course. that wild? I mean, there are still producers out there pushing this along, but what inevitably right. happens is those producers have to get somebody who gives this thing enough juice to happen. Right. right. I'm just laughing at the prospect of like the auteur. Right. The auteur producer. Produ- producer. Yeah. 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 But it's not like it's never, it's the producer has always been one of the most, if not the most powerful figure in a film set. Like that's not a new thing. It's that, mm-hmm. but you still need more than expertise and movie authority to get a movie made. You need the cachet and, you know, uh, a guaranteed bankable thing. And uh, these guys were that, apparently. Um, so the next question we should all be asking is, so, okay, what is it these producers wanted Top Gun to be? Um, and I would say, and define what they wanted as they wanted Top Gun to be the sleekest, sexiest military fantasy in movie history. That is what they wanted. Okay. Military fantasy. It's a military fantasy. And I say this because it's all based on an article that was uh, written about actual Top Gun, like an actual flight school in California. They read this article. I love this. They were like, we got to make this movie, right? Bruckheimer described his his impression of this movie in the following way. He thought he was reading Star Wars on Earth. <laughs> yep. Star Wars so on like, Earth. Bring it down. It's like Star Wars, the fighters. Right. They're all... Right. Yep. You see the simple stuff. It's well, and like you can see exactly the thought process that led to that. You know, it's like, look, this is like there's there's awesome like combat stuff, and it's like you know there's an adventure, and he's already seeing this. Uh, he's already seeing these fighter planes as this kind of real world franchise uh, opportunity. You know. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like, and and he's seeing it through the lens of successful movies, blockbuster movies. You know, that's how he wants this thing to be. And like, I'm not here to say that's bad. I'm here to say that's already sending us in a very particular direction about an yes. actual existing military operation. Um, <clears throat> you want to hear something funny? Of I, I don't do. want to stop you too no, much, but it's funny that you mentioned it, and I didn't even think about it. But um, <laughs> this is kind of s- silly. Great. Uh, the uh, source material, which was a book called Storm of Eagles, yep. which is about Top Gun yep. and uh, like the flight school that occurred at Miramar in San Diego. Yep. Um, my uncle <laughs> was a teacher there. Oh, so good. And Thank they you, wrote Abe. about him. Yeah. No. And uh, yeah. So he's the... He's 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 one of he would be one of the instructors. So you would be called son of Top Gun. Like that would be an appropriate. I'm like title. A, I I am nephew of, nephew Top, of Gun. Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Thank it's you. wild. Thank you. His for... name is Eric Rulifson. Great. And he was uh, I don't know his 
call sign or anything. I don't. We don't really talk. Yeah, you know, Ice Abe. I mean, he's dead. It's probably Ice Abe. Like, <laughs> That's what I'm gonna call him. Yeah, it was probably Ice Abe. Well, he, yeah. yes, it was Abe. Actually, <laughs> it was just Abe. <laughs> Uh, for no reason. <laughs> anyway, I just think that that's funny because yeah. anytime anyone brings up Top Gun was based on a real thing, I'm like, yeah, baby. Yeah. It was based on us. <laughs> it was based on me. Uh, by proxy, I'm actually good at planes. Of course you are. That's what this logic that's is. That's where I like, thought I we could would go. go and fly like, yeah. fly like a fighter plane right now if we wanted. I'm thrilled that you <laughs> held on to this information till this very moment, even though I've known you for almost 15 years. <laughs> You held That's on to true. this until this moment. That's true. Right where it's funny the because <laughs> I have a few friends where it was literally the first thing that I told them. Incredible. This <laughs> I is was incredible. like, hey, what's your name? Abe. Hey, by the way, did you know that my <laughs> I'm Top Gun? uncle was Top Gun? Did you know that I'm Top Gun so by good. proxy? It's my only claim. This is so God, good. I have nothing. I'm thrilled by uh, this. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, uh, I successfully derailed let's get back on task we were too loose uh we're gonna we're, we're gonna fly all the way home now yeah i'm uh, a maverick baby I, of course you are by the way top gun's i think my dad's favorite movie like if my dad had to pick one movie it's gotta be this i like it's gotta loves be. it i it's love it too total i love movie. top gun i don't want to pretend like i don't love it i do so yeah. the question is why if you're bruckheimer do you want to make star wars on earth and like this isn't super complicated I just want to show like the progression of thought here. It's it's success, you know, money recognition, the obvious things, right? This is in a way a, an episode of succession where it's mm-hmm. like, look, you know, I I have this personal goal and I am willing to bend reality to make that happen. You know, like and, yeah. and I'm not again, yeah. I'm not even accusing him of being corrupt in doing that. I'm just saying this is the progression of how this happens. Um I yeah. I also think it's natural for any filmmaker to want their thing to be successful. Um, it's also natural for them to do everything in their power to make that happen. Uh, so that just it just that it has real world consequences. So how did we make this military fantasy that Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson imagined? So it started with eleven writers. <laughs> eleven writers. Yep, more the better, baby. Right. That's the American way. So many just writers. Pound it with writers. And what's fascinating about that is there were a lot more people who refused to write on this film. Uh, in part because they were continuing to dilute the authenticity of it in order to make it more exciting. Um, right. Incidentally, Top Gun Maverick, which came out last year, uh, is currently being sued for copyright infringement on, based on the uh, original article, which is just kind of a fun factoid that it, like, it's all coming all the huh. way back to that, you know? Uh, I don't know if they're going to succeed or anything. I just think that's an interesting wrinkle it's interesting. here. The article itself. Yeah, because that's what they based the entire franchise on was this article. And I'm pretty sure the argument's going to be that it no longer corresponds enough to be a copyright infringement. Like, I'm pretty sure that's going to be the argument or at least part of it. I mean, if they can straight up just take a movie from a pitch and write a different movie as a studio, which has happened in Hollywood, they can take an article it's, and just yeah. say, you know, based on true stories, I don't owe anyone or anything. But I get that there's, if you use people's likeness and say, this person or something like that in this region, this, you know, group of people, their reputation yeah, is on the line. You don't own so. the concept of Top Gun. You own right. the details of the story. If we leave them behind far enough, it doesn't matter if we were inspired by that, mm-hmm. you know. Which is, I think, probably what the argument would be. Right. In any case, 
as they are developing the script and then certainly in production, they hired an actual Top Gun instructor who was not Abe uh, named Peter Pettigrew. <sighs> They should have uh, hired Abe. Peter Pe- w- yeah. Wait, no, no, they didn't. That's what I read. Peter Pettigrew is the name of this. Person. That's the name. That's the name of a Harry Potter character, though. Is it? Is that true? Yeah, Peter Pettigrew. Isn't that the Rat Man? Isn't that the Rat? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to Google I it. I think. Okay. I, that's okay. the name of the guy, or unless I copied true, the wrong name. I'm gonna for the rest of your story. I'm gonna envision little rat that boy. tiny little rat, tiny man. little rat man. Go, uh, <laughs> rat man, the flight boy. So he was an actual Top Gun instructor. Okay, and his job was uh, was multi tiered, but basically two pronged. Okay, the first part is he wants to make sure the military's interests are honored, right? Because he is a linchpin in getting the military to cooperate. If they don't cooperate, this movie's not possible. Right. Right. So he's there to make that relationship work. Okay. He's also there in the way that all advisors are to give, you know, the this is what really happens uh, side of the production. Right. This is how it really works. He's the authenticity guy. Right. And so mm-hmm. as the as the movie progressed, he got increasingly like, hey, man, that's not how it works. Uh, he kept having more and more. I don't want to say altercations because it might have been civil or, or even friendly, but like he kept challenging them and saying, look, you know, you're undermining reality. And their response, and this is a quote, is we're making this movie for mom and pop in Oklahoma. They won't know the difference. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I just want to come back to mom and pop in Oklahoma because I think that's mom another interesting in concept. Yeah. And his third job was to be Ron Weasley's <laughs> rat. <laughs> is it the same name? Is it the same name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I love this. I love. Uh, it's I, just a grit. One of those things that the that's like a Douglas Adams. It thing, surely is. You know, like that's yeah. That's that's like wow. <laughs> what were what would be the chances of those two weird things being true? Anyway, it's not ironic Don't know, or anything. But it's not it's zero. Just weird. That's the important thing yeah. is that it isn't. That's zero. the important part. Yeah. But yeah, mom and pop in mom Oklahoma. Mom and pop in Oklahoma who will not know the difference, right? So yeah. that's the argument. Now. Obviously, the military had to have script approval for this project to go, because if they don't agree to it, there is no Top Gun, right? Um, the impact of that it was mostly to tame down and curb any specific political setting. So, for instance, the first conflict that happens where uh, Cougar lost it, turned it his wings, that was supposed to happen over Cuba in the script. And the military Ooh, is like, absolutely not. It has to happen hot, over... Hot, hot. They're like generic nope. international waters. <clears throat> Mom and pop will know what Cuba means. Exactly. But correct. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and on, like, I mean, so Abe just did a perfect job of saying this. But like, essentially, once you've removed the specificity of the conflict, it's no longer about a conflict about who we're fighting. It's now about the fighter jets themselves. You know. Right. How much does Hollywood get in terms of currency of just making new stories by saying like? The parallels or like the par- the thing that they're trying to satirize or whatever the art form, they just go, yeah, you so you imagine like FBI agents or people, they got a lot of cases, right. you exactly. know, like. Exactly. It's, so it could be any number of things. It could be any number of places. Doing. Yeah, exactly. But the reality is like, no, this is this one, per- one detective's whole life for 10 years and it came to fruition or whatever. It's just they 
bend and yeah it's what and you're a saying lot of those it's rules... just are done just so that you don't get bogged down in like the boring technical details of a job that are not filmic like filmically interesting right and i'm sure that's a lot of what's happening behind the scenes here is like they're eradicating like i don't care about how the wheels have to come up like you know 20 minutes into flight or whatever i don't care about that mm-hmm. you know I... but you can also fudge other things right well removing it from a specific area and a specific conflict is uh, means that you are now trivializing the use of military force. You know, a mm-hmm. thing that we're going to continue to talk about. So now I want to talk a little bit about Tony Scott. Um, this is director piece, so oh, I, yeah. I do want to get into Tony Scott and his work. So Tony Scott, at this point, had only this directed one feature, as far as I could tell, and it, the major credit was it was a 1983 lesbian vampire film with Susan mm-hmm. Sarandon and David Bowie, and it's called The Hunger. Uh-huh. And all I can say is I haven't seen it, and that's clearly one of my greatest mistakes. <laughs> I don't like yeah. why have I not it's, seen this? It's a great mistake you've okay. made here. Okay, is it is uh, it good? Have you seen this? I've seen okay. it. Yeah, How is it? It's not good. Yeah, I didn't think it would. Uh, be. But you and I are watching it later. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Uh, all right. David Bowie is sultry. I'm sure he's. Of course, it. I'm sure he's amazing he is, in this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I it's just think all the vampire you could want. A 1983 lesbian vampire story is very mm-hmm. strange. Uh, like, and I I don't mean strange like bad. I mean strange. 1983 like, for that time. doing a lot of that yeah. work. Yeah. yeah. For that time. Yeah. Right. And Tony Scott too. But like, this is at the beginning of his career. Yeah. He's young. And you have to make weird stuff He's... sometimes. But I think the point <laughs> is that he isn't a super experienced director, right? And he was actually hired. Because he'd made a sob commercial with a car racing a jet. It's a 30-second commercial. <clears throat> That's right. You can see it online now. It still looks pretty good for an 80s commercial. Um, mm-hmm. And we get a very similar version of that sequence right during the Highway to the Danger Zone montage the first time. Like, right. Both similar. of the Scots were, they started commercials. Yeah. And that makes sense. Which was just like, put up all the cameras, make the most expensive thing, yep. and then we shoot it and we're done. Slap the long yeah. lens on it so it looks good. Uh, I Get 85 cameras. That's right. Yeah. Well, that used to be a more conventional path to get into feature filmmaking now, and now those worlds right. are siloed off from each other. Um, so the point here is when you hire a guy based on a commercial that he made for a jet, you're not hiring him because of his storytelling chops. You're hiring him because he knows how to make the jet look good. Right. right, and I'm not saying that that makes him a bad f- storyteller. In fact, I think Top Gun's pretty well made, but I would say that it tells you where the priorities are for the producers. What do they care about? Let's sell the jets. Let's make the jets yeah. look good. Let's get get the sheen. Yeah, good. let's make it look good. Let's get let's let's sop up those actors. Make them see those beads of sweat. <laughs> that's because so that's how you sell humans, right? right? You get wet humans. Yeah, we're gonna. <laughs> Actually, that is how you sell That's how you humans. sell one if you're in a grocery store and need one. You know. Uh, oh my god! Like every every cologne ad and every like yeah, like the just, fresh produce. And where you're just like, <laughs> let's get some sex in here. Let's make it all wet up in well, here. Well, you're God. You're, we are simple creatures, is what I'm saying. I just want to say, Top Gun is pretty well made, and that's particularly true when you realize that they had absolutely no control over the planes. Like, they were not able to tell the planes what to do. They basically had to film standard military operations and cut those operations together into an actual narrative with the planes. 
You know, they could apparently request flybys sometimes, but if they changed any military operation that was planned, the military would gouge them big time. Here's an example. They were on an aircraft carrier, to, and they, they were supposed to film it against the sunset, because that's how they'd started shooting the scene, and the carrier had to veer off course for a reason or the other. They're like, look, can we get five more minutes with sunlight here? And uh, the military charged them $25,000 to change course for five minutes for just for that's lighting. awesome sure you know uh so like they really don't like have i have the money I, I don't care this is all nonsense but twenty five thousand dollars like as a reasonable like yeah we have to do that's a lot how of much stuff. aircraft carrier you get yeah that's what it costs to rent this that for is five minutes. i mean i guess it makes sense because like in order for me to get like a second glass of soda it's like eight dollars <laughs> but like i don't know that's crazy. I don't know what soda you're buying. I think that's thrilling. Eight dollars sodas. I mean, uh, what is that at made a of? movie theater? <laughs> oh, I see it at uh, theater. Super sodas. I got it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's funny to think of the guy who's out there counting counting up the numbers to get that twenty five thousand dollar figure. <laughs> this is what it costs. You know, I know. I have the abacus here. Yeah, they uh, have like an economics guy just always right. on set who's just like, ah, that's 25. They just pulled that number out of there. It's ass, of course didn't what they, they did because they it was done in a hurry. There's no way they had that pre-figured out. That would be insane. So like they're just like, well, that's what it, it's it's very much a gouging operation, right? Like that's that's the deal here. So like that's a really harsh uh set of parameters to have to make a film in, especially when the film is about the planes. Right, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I, I think he deserves a little credit for how well he stitched that together, given those facts. Um, now yeah. I want to talk a little bit about how does Tony Scott sell this military fantasy? Okay, so the first thing yeah. is, and it blows your mind when you really think about it. Almost the entire movie of Top Gun takes place at Magic Hour <laughs> or Sunset. Yes, it's perfect. This movie is never happening. Any nothing happens before four p.m. Or after it's 7 p.m. so inefficient. It's absurd. It's utterly absurd, right? Like, if you look at the light in it, the light is consistently golden, warm, or red. It's awesome. It looks gorgeous. And it only exists in any, like in California, for 30 minutes to an hour. So, like, they're shooting at a very particular time of day all the time to mm-hmm. make the look of this movie happen, right? And the reason for it yeah. is that... Uh, that magic hour makes the whole thing look sexy. It's one of our favorite kinds of lighting. It's mood lighting. It's the most interesting. Yes, it's lighting, gorgeous. Hands down. But you know, it's, it just is uh it's tremendously problematic for a production and it's uh, you know, dishonest about how time works. You know what I, mean? I love, I love that when like a director or, you know, like the AD comes to like the director of photography and is like, we're shooting this only from 4 PM to 7 PM. Yeah. And just the DP going like, I'll yes, see you at pub. Fuck. I'll see you at the bar. I am. S- yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Because it's also like the best, like DPs get off on of that shit. It looks right? great. They're just like, oh, the best looking yeah. shots. Everyone cares. Like I'm the rock star today. <laughs> well, and sometimes what they would do from what I could tell, I'm not a, I'm not a DP, but from, from what I could tell, sometimes they would also use uh, sunlight to like bounce off windows or floors to create the yeah, illusion yeah. of late afternoon or almost sunset, which wasn't actually there. 
Yeah, your interiors. Yeah. That's like typically how like a production like this would right. go. Is all exteriors are only during the times you right. said, and interiors. It's like they black out the world if they can, like essentially try to make their locations a studio for the interiors, and then create a uh, a source light that is essentially looks like the sun. Big, soft, through a lot of diffusion, add a lot of orange or yellow, et cetera. Et cetera. So. I think it, for the audience to understand, I mean, we can keep throwing the word, it looks awesome and sexy and everything, but I think for you to really understand what that means. People have seen it. Well, yeah. you have to think about where have you seen that lighting most consistently? And the answer is, you've seen it when you imagine a California sunset. When you imagine a vacation right. photo of a beach, or California in particular, that's the image that you usually think. Okay, because uh, that that lighting creates the feeling of relaxation right and like peace right. and like uh and just like an enjoyable time a more tropic or tropic kind yeah of. absolutely yeah like you know for someone who lives in a cloud covered area you know that obviously absolutely. would be ideal That's right so think about what we're saying then when we're couching the planes in the tropic vacation lighting you know, well, mom and pop have to deal with tornadoes right. over in Oklahoma. So, <laughs> I love it. It's essentially, it's again, it's mitigating the danger, right? Like, you know, that that's that's what's happening here. Is he's he's mitigating the danger, not necessarily in a conscious way, but in his attempt to make the planes look awesome and the world look so great and iconic. That's how he did it. Okay, so another thing that he, another tactic he employs, which should be familiar to all of us as internet consumers is that he is using his costume and art to create a nostalgia version of the military. It's not a contemporary <clears throat> 80s version of the military. It's actually a throwback version of the military. Okay, this film was made in 1980, probably four or five, something like that, released in 86. But if you look at mm -hmm. every outfit and car, almost every single thing that our leads are wearing, uh, you'll see there is a consistent 50s, 60s inspired aesthetic. Right? right, Mavericks bomber jacket. It's a great way to create like nostalgia for Absolutely. something that you know, like I know that Spielberg did it in Always as well, and it's like it's interesting because it's you either have the this is the most modern you know kind of thing, or you have remember the thing the movies that you right. saw that were remember like that? film reels of that time of during a war or whatnot. Uh, remember how they looked. Imagine that, it's like that, but now. So I just want to list a couple of uh, like key items that sort of sell this idea. So Maverick's outfit, which I think we can basically reduce to the bomber jacket and Ray-Bans, uh, that's all 50s, 60s stuff, right? Charlie's yeah. Porsche is an old Porsche. I want to say it's a 60s Porsche. Um, right. Her makeup and like even the color of her hair and stuff is very much like older pinup inspired. Like Marilyn Monroe, which is like interesting that. given the powerful hair of the eighties. Correct. She also doesn't naturally have that hair color. She had to go off and shoot a different movie, and when they did pickups, she had the wrong color hair, which is why there's a couple of scenes where she's wearing a hat. You know, uh, oh. because they couldn't get her to get the hair color right. Like, but the hair color was like a decision here. Um, also, I mean, this seems really obvious, but think about the music in this movie. Right, basically all the music except for Kenny Loggins is stuff that was oldies at the time. Right, you've lost that love and feeling, which is I think the theme of the movie. Gray balls of fire. Mm -hmm. Both of those are from that era. Right. Yeah. And then if you look really carefully at say the art department and like the stylings of say Charlie's house, right, or some of the interiors of the you know 
uh, the flight school, you get this feeling like you're looking at a print ad from a bygone era, mm-hmm. right? Like the framing of it and also just the, the, just the architecture and the stylings of it. Like, are they religious about it? No, but the entire effect of these decisions is to give you a sense of, remember that bygone era when things were good. Yeah, and, and specifically like the uh, Mad Men correct. era too. If you've seen correct. Mad Men, that's it's very much Mad Men. And remember, they're selling this to mom and pop in Oklahoma, which means what they're doing is they're evoking in them a sense of this was the best time of your life, right? This is the best time <laughs> of your life. This is what you remember as the best time of your life, and that's what Top Gun is. It's like a a, a, yeah. a military vacation during the best time of your life. Don't think, just go faster. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) Pump your fist. Exactly. So this is really obvious when you think about it, but I've never thought about it until I started writing this this argument. The Russians are almost entirely robots in this movie. Like, they're not people. I mean, Uh, they are in a lot of franchises during this era, It's really weird in this movie, though, because of two elements. The first is their face masks. The Russians apparently have the cool sunglasses masks, right? A thing that's like, I guess it mm-hmm. makes sense for that to happen, but we none of the American pilots have it. None of them. And if it was essential to operations, you'd think we would have it. But uh, it's clear that the filmmakers like, these are not people. These are just play, like fighter pilots. Whereas our was, is it weird don't have sunglasses. Is it weird to you... If I tell you that when I was a kid and I watched this, I wanted to be a Russian fighter. I thought it was so they cool. They had cool look. Just, I took solace yeah. in being like a faceless yeah. cog. <laughs> they looked really cool, like because they actually their gear felt They're a little more modern, kind of alien yeah. too, like untouchable. Correct. Correct. They're dehumanized. It made, it made the knights. It made the knights go easier. <laughs> is all I'm saying. <laughs> when you crashed and burned, and it wasn't pretty. Uh, it wasn't pretty. I understand. Yeah, that's my childhood. So another mm. hilarious thing about the Russians is they don't speak, but they'll like physically gesture at each other all the time. Like they'll do these like yes. thumbs up or whatever, like they or nods, like they can see each other across from the plane. It's yeah, really stupid. It's like, which they have so low visibility. It's so stupid, uh, and it's very funny. And again, it's they're they've removed the eyes and the voice of these people. Because those are two things that humanize the enemy, mm-hmm. right? And if you do that, can't have that. Yeah, you, if you do that, you don't care about fighting off, you know, insert bad guy here. Now they did say Russian, and Russian is a safe bad guy, but they still felt the need to eliminate the sense of conflict, the sense of meaning in this conflict by removing the humanity in it. You know, yeah, that's exactly right. right. So, like, this is another thing that like super matters, and you never hear anybody argue about it. This conflict that happens at the end of Top Gun would have been World War Three. Like, yeah, like the destruction of five MiGs that, that is a over huge Russian huge space incident, or I guess not technically Russian space, like but international in no waters. Land. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. It's a huge incident. Obviously, like the movie is selling you the idea that no nobody wants to acknowledge it. That's why it's happening, but like. I think the fascinating part of it is the one of the first directors they approached, John Carpenter, outright refused to do the movie because he said that would be politically irresponsible. Like oh, the, the conflict that Carpenter. you're creating at the end is politically irresponsible. I can't make that. Fucking oh, that fucking mu- oh, I love him. Isn't so that much. great? You know, like <gasps> yeah, it's it's perfect Carpenter response to that right. question too. It's exactly. It feels very much like him and his 
his whole like, ah, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to. It's because Carpenter loves to do that thing where he's just like, I see what you're all about, man. I already, I based on how you're talking and what you're selling, man, I know what you're up to, man. I mean, what I find <laughs> particularly evocative about that is they didn't change it. You know what I mean? Like well, they yeah. changed directors, not the story in light of that critique. Oh, of course. Right. Because the, the, like you said, what's the power at play? Bruckheimer and Simpson. You know? Oh, of course, right. I mean, that's why that decision, that's why it went that way. But even for them to not consider that as a change, or I mean, I don't oh, know, I don't know if they considered align. it or not, but they didn't make that change, so that's very telling. You know, you know what I, I was thinking about because you know how we're making a movie called Papa Bear. <laughs> I'm Go aware. Seedandspark.com yeah. slash fun yeah. slash Papa Bear, Papa hyphen Bear. Uh, like we should take it to Ben Shapiro's. Uh, <laughs> his production company or whatever they got going over there and see what they say. They're like, Hey, do you you imagine? So it's, it's I hope he films his response and sends it to you. Like what a thrill that would be. Oh, that would be great. What a thrill that would be. Um, and now it's time for Abe's favorite point. Uh, this is another way that Tony Scott sold this movie. Uh, he put a mountain of sweat in this movie. (laughs) There is so much sweat. Now we keep making jokes about it. Uh, but like, really think about this. Movies go out of their way to eliminate sweating. Almost no movie yeah. intentionally includes sweating unless it's a thing that would obviously have to be there um, or uh, unless there are thematic reasons. Again, like body heat. We like dry humans and we like sopping right. wet We like humans. them when they've been through an ordeal and they're sweaty and then they get perfectly clean, right? But in the middle, it's like, um, what are you, clammy? Yeah. What are, are you, you clammy? Exactly. Good point, right? In this movie, mm-hmm. like not only are they sweaty the whole time, it's a plot point all the time, right? People are always yeah. in the shower, in need of a shower, sitting in a hot room, right? They have a bunch of like very famous lines about it, right? Like Slider, you stink, right? Slider, <laughs> stink. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can smell your musk from yeah, here. Exactly. <laughs> That's not a line, but I like it. Uh, no, it's I'm I'm, I'm just. Doing yeah, jazz, Maverick comes know? over to Charlie's place for a for their first date and says, "I need to grab a shower." <laughs> right? It's like what? Yeah, because it's so fucking it's hot so out hot. here, and I'm and I and I am doing reps of something. Yeah. It's know? reps of like, something. I'm just doing mad reps. So if you have seen this movie, then we don't need to tell you why there's so much sweat. Just go watch the volleyball scene again. Right? Just go oh, yeah. watch it. It is one of the greatest moments of latent homoeroticism in film history. You know, like it, it's just awesome uh for that. Everybody knows it. It's a thing we're all in on and it's great. And uh I would say that is uh that's one of the few times that the subtext of the movie comes to the surface. Right? And that yes. subtext is these are hot men. This is all these are all everybody in this flight school is a hot, hot healthy, healthy sexy man meaty right. men you know yeah. like and like on its face it's so stupid to have a scene in top gun a scene about training military operating like naval aviators having them play volleyball and get hot in the sun it's so dumb right yeah it's weird that they didn't have just like a line of women watching <laughs> that scene going like Ooh, it la, might be la. too obvious <laughs> I, I, it's too, it's too on, on the yeah, nose you're right right um, we the the Tony Scott wants us to all be the yeah women. feel it but don't because, and, see it exactly you know just feel it and remember it's mom and pop in Oklahoma right you are women you are not men <laughs> yeah. 
Now, just another reminder, this is in San Diego, one of the most temperate places in California. So easy. It's so cool Like, there. even the summers are, like, yeah, summers are better than, like, L.A. summers. Right. where. Because, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll get 100 in some summers, but most of the one time, day. it's just 72. Yeah, like one day. Like, one day of that summer. All the right. time. Now, obviously, yeah. that's changing, but, like, in general, especially in 1986... <laughs> Every room in this San Diego uh, hellscape was ninety degrees. It's like one twenty. Yeah, they're yeah. they're just they're always a little sweaty. Um, it's so obvious that like you can't believe that it wasn't a thing people were talking about that much. You know, uh, I mean, it was maybe it was a joke that we all loved so much that we never really talked about it. But like, it's a really big choice, and they keep doing it. You know, um, to sell the sexual energy of this uh, fantasy. It, that's part of it. The you know the hot men are here. Um, I want to talk very briefly about Tony Scott's long lenses, uh, a thing that oh, you know yeah. I love talking about it. You know it, huge he lenses. Loved, yeah, he's got really phallic long lenses. lenses. Correct. Yeah, yeah very phallic <laughs> lenses. So you guys, if you've listened to this podcast, know that long lenses means we're compressing the visual space, right? And the reason right. he's doing that here is some of them are artistic reasons, some of them are. Uh, some of them are just practical reasons. The artistic reasons is that he's trying to create postcards. You know, he makes a lot of postcards mm -hmm. in this movie, right? Because again, there's lots and lots of frames here where Top Gun kind of feels like the the dangerous, sexy vacation you've always dreamed of, right? Like that's that's the idea. Um, it also right. has the effect of making the planes seem more imposing. You know, because they they these flat shots of them, you get a real sense of the engines and the wingspan of them and stuff. So it kind of makes them feel bigger. And the backgrounds are you know blurred into infinity. Yes. I mean, it is exactly. blue sky anyway. But like when you do see clouds and stuff, you're whipping by so fast because you're on this long Correct. lens. It just feels like uh, you know warp speed. Right. It makes the planes feel like they're going faster. You're absolutely right about that. Mm -hmm. It also eliminates. It keeps them on camera longer because if they're flying toward us, uh, it like it takes them longer to travel at us on the z-axis when we've compressed the space. So like we get a longer Some shot. Impressive of them. camera operation. In Correct. This movie. There really is. I mean, it's. I mean, it's nothing like. I mean, the best in the business are the people who like film like golf and stuff. But like, it's on par with that. Top Gun you know? Maverick was one of the best filmmaking like best camera operating filmmaking examples I've ever seen. Yeah. It's I think incredible. Uh w there was a there was a story about like on for Edgar Wright when he was doing like comedy stuff where you do like I want to whip pan zoom and he was just like after a few he and like camera operators in movies he was just like ah it's not good yep. enough. Can I just hire a guy who's just That's good what at they that do. and they were like yeah. yeah go go to the go to soccer. You know get a uh you know go hire those operators with those machines. Yeah, the guy filming hockey. Yeah, because yeah. they, they're like pivot machines. Right, you know? and they're so good at spotting stuff. Um, so there's another practical reason that Abe kind of alluded to for why Tony Scott's using long lenses, and it's that he has to hide where they actually are when we're filming the plane stuff. Uh, the planes mm. are almost all being shot in Nevada at an Air Force base. So, like, you have to kind of hide the landscape so that you don't see that we're no longer in San Diego. And they do a pretty good job of that. Um, uh, yeah. 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 You have to avoid. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it, that's smart. smart. That's just practical filmmaking. That's what every film has to do. I don't even, I don't, I don't fault him for that. I just think, like, 
it is a good way of marrying your creative endeavor with the practicality of your shoot. <clears throat> and it limits your shots. Yeah. Sometimes you just can't look down right. and you're like, well, fuck. That's right. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it, he did a great job here uh, of, of achieving this a believable amount of plane maneuvering that seemed like it was narratively driven, even though it definitely wasn't when he filmed it. Um, also, like, <laughs> there was a lot of just, like, inconsistencies that are really obvious when you take three seconds to think about it. Like, the idea of the hard deck, another phallic term, and, uh, like, how they're always supposed to be up in the clouds. They're never above the hard deck in this movie. Fucking ever. They're <laughs> always below the hard deck all the time in this movie. They're flying over hills and stuff. You know, it is actually extraordinarily <laughs> dangerous what they're doing. And I just want to make this point, even though I don't, I'm not laying this at the feet of the filmmakers, I'm just saying this. Somebody did die making Top Gun. Like, their stunt plane uh, pilot died doing the flat spin. Really? Yeah. That's what I read. Oh, that's... Yeah. The, the, they blew up a plane for Top it, Gun? A plane went into the ocean for Top Gun. Holy that's what crap. I, that's my I understanding. didn't know that. That is... Yeah. That is a death and a, like, man. Well, like, the exact scene How do you, where... The military was probably... Well, they were paying for it and blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, like the exact scene, I'm pretty sure, they're, where they're filming the stunt that would later turn into Goose's death. I believe that's when the pilot uh, lost control and died. This is on Wikipedia. Whoa. Uh, so I just want to make sure that I have that correct. Yeah. Somebody, no, Art crazy. Scholl was his name. He died filming Top Gun when his plane failed to recover from a spin and plunged into the Pacific Ocean. And they never recovered him oh, or the plane. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, pretty wild, right? That is, that's wild. Maybe that's an interior shot. That. Maybe that was like a, like they're getting the actual footage of him do, inside doing it. He was 53. Um, he was a stunt pilot, you know. And this is, I mean, you hire a stunt guy to take these risks, and uh, that's what happened. You know, it's a real yeah. bummer. So, again, I'm not laying that at the feet of the filmmakers. I'm just saying, like, it is actually dangerous what they're doing, and uh, somebody did die doing it, you know. So, it you know, it's serious. Um, yeah. Now I want to talk just briefly about the real-world impact of Top Gun. Um, and I didn't like do a lot of deep research here. I just, you know, want to connect the thematic dots here. So the thing that everyone says, and they're not wrong, is that there was a noticeable bump in military recruitment after Top Gun came out. The number of that number there is, uh, widely disputed, like whatever that number is, it's been as high as 500% five times. Right. And apparently that number has been debunked Mm -hmm. by people. Um, but even like the staunchest, you know, like this made very little impact. Will say that it went somewhere between eight and ten percent. It grew because of Top Gun, and there's plenty of like anecdotal evidence for people who served in the military. Like, absolutely, I signed up because of Top Gun. And mm-hmm. um, the point being, like, a lot of those people that signed up for Top Gun signed up under the influence of an idea of the military that isn't accurate, right? That is that where the movie intentionally precluded facts and the ex- the real world experience of the military because it was so cool, you know? Um, yeah. I think probably it lives harder to quantify, but just as real is the fact that this movie trivialized military conflict and impact in the global arena. And what I mean by that is all the acts of war in this are not political or international crises. 
They are in neutral waters, and they're more interesting as personal conflicts for our pilots who are trying to grow and be good teammates. You know, like that's actually what is emotionally matter matters here is that Maverick learned how to be a good wingman, not hey, we just started a war with Russia. You know who has nukes? Exactly. Um, right. And the film by play by assuming that, and by the way, it's not even like that. That's wrong. It's just that it has this byproduct of making us not take the acts of war seriously and of course, not thinking yeah. about it. Right. And uh, I'm not able to say how bad that is or how much harm that is, but I am saying that there has been studies and there's no denying that. Uh, those kind of decisions do have this after effect and it is a concern. Um, I, this is a conversation that Mike and I have all the time when we talk about call of duty games, right? Like call of duty games. His argument has always been, it's a military propaganda tool. And my argument has right. always been, okay, but let's evaluate the game piece of it. Cause that's our job, but he's not wrong. He's absolutely correct that there is a byproduct of trivializing the impact that military conflict has on other groups of people. That are not us. Mm-hmm. And the glamorizing of military right. kind of um, like the cool aspect of yeah, military. Yeah, so we, we did a, a video at Cracked like, you know, eight years ago or something. I don't even know how long it was. That showed uh, terrorist recruitment ads that were clearly based around Call of Duty. You know, like the, the they showed terrorists like loading up and shooting rocket launchers with these clear cinematics that are based around Call of Duty moves. So like it's mm-hmm. clear that as a tool to make people think to buy into a fantasy, it is successful. Cinema can be successful at that, you know? And uh, I'm not even, so like, you know, I'm not, I'm not accusing this film or Top Gun of being a terrorist or anything like that. I'm just saying the techniques do translate to actual recruitment videos. Like you've seen it, you know? Um, Yeah. And there's multitudes of reasons why people might join the military. Absolutely. Of course, and that's where this is where my caveats at the back door come in. So, like, I'm not here to say the military is evil or bad or anything like that. That's not my that's not my purview here. Uh, but I do think that everyone would agree that uh, the purpose of the military and the actions of the military shouldn't be romanticized. That they they need mm. to be met with clear eyed analysis because people die as a result of military action. Right. You know, and uh, sometimes that means we need to criticize the military. Um, you know, <clears throat> yeah, and I think that ultimately, especially, I mean, it's been true for ages, and it's never more relevant than now. Even as we start to see corporate branded movies and such, um, the concepts at play, like the zeitgeist and informing that zeitgeist, uh, and kind of you know the 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 equivalent analogy would be like the impressionable kids watching Jurassic Park and wanting to become. Uh, you know, a paleontologist. Yeah, that happened to me. It doesn't seem like that hurts anybody. Doesn't necessarily hurt anyone. Uh, it doesn't put them in harm's way. It put them in know, harm's like, way either. Right. Yeah, but it's like the power that movies have on people watching these things. And when you can fudge the details, it now becomes a powerful and loosely and more often false than true kind of uh kind of argument that's that's the power of propaganda because all movies are about excluding reality to some degree so that you get the pure distilled feelings and the issue becomes that when you when the thing you're excluding is uh something that has very significant real world consequences Mm -hmm. uh so that you can 
create a film that trivializes those things because it's fun, you have pre- you have potentially created a propaganda film. Yeah. You know, um, I don't personally think there's anything wrong with watching or enjoying Top Gun as a work of fiction. You know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with making a film that's like, I'm going to make this the sexiest, coolest, best thing you can. But I would hope that as a filmmaker, I would at least consider the potential impact and also the moral implications of using a, a significant real life institution as a pure instrument of fun and fantasy. In other words, you are on team John Carpenter. We got him. We got him. <laughs> That's where I line up. But also, Abe, I think someone could very easily come and say, you know what your problem is, Adam? Mm-hmm. You just don't feel the need. <laughs> the need just, for speed? You, that's right. You just that's don't right. Feel the need. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true. The call of the speed is yeah deep. I mean, I'm getting it old. Is deep now, in so us I, all. Don't put me in a don't put me in one of those hey, plane cabins, man. I don't want to be in there. You put me in a closed space with Tom Cruise. You're having a great just, day. Uh, just a uh, just just a bulk of sweat. Just a bulk <laughs> of it. And uh, and you tell me words like need and speed. Yeah, I'd be. I'm probably singing a different tune right. than the military is bad. Okay. <laughs> so I I mean I'm aware that most of our audience probably has very strong potentially anti-military feelings, and I get that, and I understand why. But if there's anybody in the audience that served in the military feels very pro-military. I just want to reiterate that this is not intended to denigrate the work you do or, or the function of the military and society. That's a much larger conversation. It's just about not making a film that trivializes it. That's yeah, the it's, issue. It's tough to thread the needle of um, like talking about propaganda in this way because people have strong opinions about it and people think that side has propaganda. We don't. Right. Or some people think everyone has propaganda or some people Correct. say there is no such thing as propaganda. I can think for myself. There's so many different iterations of human that I think you, you did a good job here of kind of the analysis is on point. How do you manufacture something? Uh, right. What are and the also, techniques are... employed? I bet that, I mean, Jerry Bruckheimer doesn't give one single shit about what I think and nor should he, uh, but, like, I imagine that he would say, if he was asked, like, I never was trying to make a recruitment tool. Like, that was not the goal. I just wanted right. to make a fun movie in a place where we hadn't seen it. And uh, he did do that. You know what I mean? Like, he did do that. But I think uh, I, I think that you can still make propaganda that way. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, in the same way that you can just be like, I'm just trying to make the most successful business. And then before you know it, you're... You're you're turning on profits and, and gouging, you know, right. like people out of right. their good money. This is so a there's story ways all the things time. can be corrupted. We're not yeah. saying the corruption is here, but we are saying this is how the corruption can be utilized and often 100%. is. Um, and I do think that, yeah, I mean, I'm not speaking for you, but I do think that Top Gun and things like Call of Duty are powerful tools Agreed. because of ha- because of the sensational aspect of everything. Their lives being taken, that's like the most insane aspect of humanity, life and death. Uh, the tools are crazy. Guns and like and high speed vehicles especially for boys are taught to be the coolest thing in the world. The way they um, treat so the planes it's romantic. The way they treat the planes in this movie 
like the like the way the emotional weight they're given is really staggering when you step back and think about it because like they'll tell they'll say things like you know that's a big gamble with a hundred million dollar plane lieutenant right <laughs> but they'll say it in the context of you're not good at piloting today man but like when it's they're about a human story or right. like a per, yeah, yeah 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 right but when they're doing like a good that. job it it's basically a joyride you know yeah and when you write a screenplay, you seek out what's the joyride of my film. When am I going to get totally. most films that are made often have a segment that is akin to what has been called the fun and game sequences. Correct. And, and some films have multiple uh, and it's the concept of like, what, what is the most entertaining like moment on my movie? How can I maximize that? That is what the blockbuster movie is designed to do right absolutely to, that's what you're paying for yeah to streamline that heroin straight into your veins right. and give, it's, me them, give me them feels yeah and isn't don't we if we are siding with the aspect of like well we want the most awesome movie aren't we also saying to ourselves that we don't like whatever for for the sake of that purpose whatever we do maximize the awesomeness if you do that, you are a successful movie. If we make that the barometer of success, people are going to start aspiring to that and nothing else. I think for a pretty long time we did. You know I think what I mean? we still like, do. I yeah. think that that's what superhero movies are, right? Yeah, superhero movies, uh, I think, manage to get away with that without feeling like propaganda because they have a premise that nobody believes it's fantastical. is real. They're not right. trying to ground it in reality, right. really. Top Gun, ostensibly to the naive 1986 audience, was at least uh, at least a version of reality. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is a th- like nothing happens that's ostensibly magic there, other than the magic of Tom Cruise uh, <laughs> wooing our hearts on screen. Uh. You know? uh, but uh, you know, everything else is ostensibly could happen in real life. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, whether the, I mean, obviously that's not true given all the things we've said, but that's how that's that's the way they're selling it, you know. Um, also, I just want to say, uh, and you know, this is not an argument for its morality, but Top Gun Maverick was one of the best action movies I've seen in like five, ten years. There is since Mad like, Max: Fury Road. I actually rewatched Top Gun Maverick recently. Did you find uh, it good? Yeah. Um, but I did realize in the second viewing that like so much is earned by like basically 20 minutes of the movie, like two sequences of 10 of like eight or so minutes where it's basically Tom Cruise, just cap and fools. Um, yeah, yeah. Toward the third act, right? Yeah, they have yeah, an yeah. intro like "Welcome to school, bitches," <laughs> yeah. and then they have right. another one where we need. To, they have another montage where it's like we need to be better, and I can make you better. And they yeah. have those two montages that are kind of like Act One, Act Three bookends, like the out, outskirts of Act Two, and they're all the other scenes are like whatever that those fucking things had me so high and like. Like, I don't know. It's just like, it's crazy how much good will is earned by just a good sequence. Like when they fucking nail it and all cylinders are firing, uh, it makes you, you know, want to cheer in the theater. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the music's awesome. It just, it all does it. Yeah. 
you are just like, I don't give it. I'm not even going to focus on the next four scenes. I don't give That's a right. shit. <laughs> I'm just going to be here, like <laughs> having the maximum fun. Like, to, like yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, and I'll say like uh, allegedly from a friend who was working on that set. Uh, apparently there is almost no CGI in the plane fighting sequences. Yeah, I've heard that too. Which yeah. really blows my mind. Uh, well, now like, that, yeah. Some of that stuff's like, whoa. Um, With drones know. as they yeah. are, because that's what they did a lot of that, the air stuff is drone stuff. And like with how they are and how light they are and how fast they can go, it's insane the shots that we can get now that right. are not necessary for CG 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, and, so, and here we are pumping our fist again because uh, – right. and, and that tells you – I mean, Bruckheimer and Don Simpson were right about the entertainment value of this idea. Mm-hmm. They were 100% right. Tom, uh, Tom Cruise is 100% right about the entertainment value of the idea. It works. And, you know, and if works. you're if you're kind of examining American cinema as kind of like a school of America, and I really do suggest that people look at history in that way, like – in a way, it's reflective of the culture that the wants and desires and fears of the culture itself uh, th- through the times. Um, you can do that with any culture. They're also right about mom and pop in Oklahoma. I think that's contingent on their vision. Like that's yeah. why they des- decided all these decisions and went the propaganda route. But like at the time, that was the most lucrative and biggest audience one could get in 1986. I mean, that's is, that's their way of saying box office. Yes. Th- that's really what they're... It's a shorthand for box office. It's a group of people that they equate to biggest box office we can get is mom and pop yeah. in Oklahoma. You know? And, um, and there's the most American aspect of it all, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, that's what it always comes back to, right? It's it, yeah. I mean, we could have a whole thing on succession. Maybe one day you should have a succession podcast, Dave. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I love that show. I really like it. I like it as like a, it's one of my favorite versions of theater. You know, like as in like you could see one act plays a lot in this if you just watch episodes of succession. But I digress. Yeah, succession yeah, yeah. is really good at bringing to the surface. I know the, what you mean, though. The things that are also powering the decision making here. You know? Uh, yeah, just that, in terms of like power dynamics yeah. and such. Yeah. Um, it does feel like a real life succession thing. But it's funny because a lot of, I don't know, a lot of narratives also deal with that. So it's just, to me, it's of just course. clear that you've been watching succession. Well, you're not wrong. I have <laughs> been watching you're it. Like, yeah, it's very, it's very true to life. I, I, I do that all the time, man. You can tell the last time I, I watched Deadwood. Because it's just the shit. <laughs> because you're it's just the shit I want to talk about. <laughs> I'm just like, that's what that's what community is, man. I keep that's trying to bring up Cowboy Bebop because I. Uh, you just want to talk about Cowboy dude, Bebop. Dude, I just I'll finished talk. it. I just finished it. and I cried my eyes out for an hour. Let's fucking go. Let's talk about Cowboy Bebop, man. I, yeah, we should. Because I, I, I love it. There's nothing that, better. Yeah. What, what a great pleasure it is. To just like have a friend yeah. who've seen we've seen the same thing, yeah, and just be like, "Hey, buddy, let's just we both know what we're gonna say, but let's, but let's just do say it, anyway, it at each other and fun. feel good." Yeah, because it's fun. I encourage everyone to go do that now. Yeah. It's one of the greatest feelings in you the really world, should. and it's useless and dare I say, propagandistic. Oh, it's so now the word, you, right? you've you've came in, you've come back with that, uh, you've come hard. 
with that broad I'm coming definition. hard, dude. I'm <laughs> coming hard. definition of propaganda again. <laughs> uh, really, really thrills me. Anyway, Abe, it's uh, been it's... such a pleasure to talk to the actual Top Gun. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I was going to tell you when you were talking about those MIG, the, 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 the Russian masks. The MIGs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the presents that he gave me uh, later in life, or he gave the three brothers, I have two brothers, he gave the three children of uh, his sister, uh, gave us a real life fighter, uh, like fighting, a fight helmet. <laughs> I, I clearly am good at military terminology. He gave you a, fight a real helmet. fight helmet. <laughs> a pilot's helmet, I guess. Uh, and it had like the thing, it had all the pieces and it was the coolest thing in the world. I and one of the things that I would do is I would go into my closet, close my closet so I was in darkness, put on the helmet and act like I was in a plane. <laughs> And that was, uh, and then the later that summer, <laughs> later that later that summer, I went to college. Uh, this has been Director Peace Theater. That's a great theory. I love what talking about the the motivations for things, but I love even more the talking about the mechanics and the tactics of things. Me too. Uh, and Top yeah. Gun's a great one. Tony Scott's a fascinating kind of figure that I'm sure we can talk about. I mean, we've already... There's been other movies that we could talk about. We've kind of mentioned... Yeah, but we can talk about him as a commercial director yeah. and how his influence and yeah. like there's so many aspects of him. Um, there's so few movies that a, a director gets hired based on their commercial work. It's pretty wild that one of the most popular blockbuster films of all time, Yeah, that's what they did. Uh, also, by the way, critics panned this film. Like, I mean, like yeah, Top Gun got really shit. bad reviews. I know, I th- but I think it's a fun <laughs> note to remember in history because, yeah, like, Tom Cruise, like, literally just like planed himself down into Con last year with Top Gun Maverick, and they gave him a Palm d'Or for it. You know right. what I mean? Like, it's so funny. Jesus Christ! Yeah, like that. Guy, he deserves it. He deserved one. That fucking guy. You I know? mean, you you don't become who. Tom Cruise without actually knowing really, really well what roles are good and what stories are good and what stories aren't good. Well, it's funny that you say that, Abe, because I almost did a director piece on Mission Impossible 2, which Mm -hmm. is one of his first films that he produced. Well, I look forward to that one. Yeah, and that one, so like, there's some interesting conflict between him and John Woo on that film. Ooh. uh, Because like, he wanted John Woo and then definitely regretted John Woo, from what I can tell. So maybe I'll do that one. Maybe I'll write that one out, and we'll do that next time. little director sneak theater. I like yeah. it. <laughs> sneak rector piece theater. Director piece sneaker? <laughs> no, I can't get it. There's no, It's not there. Someone's going to put it in the comments, You're and I'm going to go, oh, of course it is. <laughs> You're too loose, Cougar. <laughs> too loose. You're too loose, Cougar. Oh, I love it. Fucking Top Gun. Well, yeah. uh I don't know. How do you end these things? I throw we your dog e- tags into the sea and then stare meaningfully at it. <laughs> and then we shake each other's hands, look each other in the eyes, hour. and slowly back away. Yeah. <laughs> Abe, you could be yes. my wingman anytime. Oh, man. Let's go wingman it up. We're both of us are wingmen, and no one, no one and is. No the, one actually flies this plane. Flies the plane? <laughs> we certainly can't land the plane, as you can see. I've been Top Gun. <laughs>